Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Welcome back to the best MLB podcast on the interwaves. It's me, obviously, Chris, here with James. What up, what up? And today... We actually have a really interesting topic today. Well, partial topic, because we're going to be jumping into multiple things. There's a lot going on in the league right now. And, uh, you know, games are really heating up at the moment. Um, and James, I know you're super excited uh, for the way things are kind of like shifting in a sense. Yeah. At the beginning of the season, a lot of people were kind of worried about offense. And um, I don't know. I wasn't one of them. I thought everybody was kind of within, you know, what they have to do to make the adjustments to be big league hitters. Everybody was kind of going through those. Um, and that usually happens at the beginning of seasons. But now what we're starting to see is uh, with, you know, spider tack out of the league and with the seams being, you know, lowered because less dense baseballs, uh, breaking balls are not able to break as much and pitchers are not as accurate. And this joins a couple of things that um, I've been noticing where pitchers are not so much about weak contact and hitting their spots. It's all about throwing really hard, getting, you know, swings and misses. I think we might be entering an era where there's not going to be too many adjustments that pitchers can do to match all of the advances that the batters are making. Um, I think even when you're talking about, uh, you know, batters that are not necessarily just top, you know, 10 at their position, but like top 15 at their position, you're looking at difficult to get out profiles, no matter if you're, you know, an elite arm uh, or not. So um, like, you know, I'll give an example, right? So uh, Trevor's story, if you put Trevor's story in a lineup where he's got protection, He's an insanely hard out. He's even more difficult on the bases. Uh, Fernando Tatis, he's an insanely difficult out. He's one of the best players in the game. Javi Baez, he is one of the most aggressive players. If you make anything close to a mistake in and around the zone, he's going to crush it. Uh, he'll still swing and miss. So, like, he'll swing through some good pitches to, you know, try and be as productive as he can be. But, uh, he's an insanely difficult profile to get out because you cannot make a mistake to him. You'll get him out if you can, you know, pitch perfectly to him. Right. But if you make a mistake, he will get you. Um, uh, Lindor, he's a guy who had to have both swings heat up uh, in order to, for him to be back to his old self switch hitters are like that. They take up until the second half of the season to be productive. And up until Lindor's injury last month, he was like 72% above league average. That's like trout level. Um, you got Wander Franco, who's the, the best uh, prospect in baseball. He's now up at the big leagues. Uh, you know, he just started hitting, I believe, last week. Mm -hmm. um, you got Brandon Crawford, who's been in the big leagues for years. He's faced all sorts of different types of pitching. Uh, like I think he's, he's in his 13th or 14th year or something along those lines. He's having the best offensive year of his career. So him producing, he should be very dangerous against all types of pitching you know he, he's producing at this level despite being in the league for this long so he's a tough out um 
Uh, you got a guy like uh, Jazz Chisholm, who it's more like in big situations, he's a really, really difficult out because he's a bad ball hitter. Anything you throw to him, uh, he has the capability of hitting it. Now he's going through some adjustments in normal situations with consistency um, that he's going to have to do uh, before he becomes you know, an elite player. That being said, in the big moments, that's going to shine through. That kind of ability is going to shine through. So he's a very difficult out in those moments. Um, and then you have uh, Jose Iglesias, who his swing rate is you know, one of the highest in baseball, and he's still being able to produce at this level or around a league average level. Some months he's 30% or 27% above league average. It's kind of alternated this year where he'd be a little bit below league average, he'd be well above league average, a little bit below, well above. But if you're swinging at that rate, you're not giving the pitcher a lot of opportunities to get you out, especially with as high of a contact rate that he has on those swings. Um, you're mainly you know, hoping that Iglesias is going through one of his colder periods because then it's like weak contact on the ground. Mm. Outside that, you know, he's going to hit you. Um, like, and that's just like talking about uh, like nine of the uh, top players uh, at, 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 um, at shortstop. And that's just looking at them offensively. And again, I, I, I say top, you know, nine of the top players at shortstop because by my designations, um, I've specifically looked at players who are shortstops who, their best position is probably third or their position best position is probably second or, or what have you. But um, because of this um, people who can hit enough to give you what you want at shortstop while also being an elite defender for the position and between like the high minors and the majors, there's basically like 11 of these guys. So um, nine of them already just off the top of what we're working with are that type of hitter. And then you have Jose Barrios, 10, who's not in the big leagues, but when he is in the big leagues, he's going to be that type of guy. And then you have Alcides Escobar, who in big moments has always produced his entire career and now very small sample size is finally hitting for some out of play power for some slugging. And, um, you know, with his defense, his base running, any sort of hitting will work, even if it's just league average. So uh, he's come back over from Asia. I don't know how that's going to end up working, but um, those are the 11 guys that I got here. And all of them are capable of producing in those big moments. You know, we could go through each position on, on my top 250. And I think you'd find that, you know, the majority of the hitters on there, are hitters who can perform in those moments. Not all of them, but the majority of, of them are, are, are hitters that can do that. And if you have this number of hitters in the league who have that type of ability, and you know, we, we live in this analytical era, it's, uh, it's only a matter of time before the guys that are the most effective right now are on the short-term teams, because that's the way analytics works. The guys who are going to develop and be more long-term guys are the guys that are sought out by teams that are looking more long-term. The guys that are going to be short-term and effective right now are sought, up, sought, sought by the uh, contenders, the guys who are trying to win right now. And that's kind of how the market works. And the more intelligent that the market gets, the more that it's going to split. And um, 
know, it's, it includes drafting intelligently, of course. But um, I think that we're now in this era where because of how teams are identifying talent and can identify talent, that once teams start putting together their lineups in these types of ways, where it's nine of these guys, nine of these guys who are effective now against good pitching. I don't think that there's something that pitching can do to account for it. I don't think it's an adjustment that, you know, pitchers can make in return. So the old adage of, you know, good pitching always beats good hitting. It may not necessarily be as true in a few years. Sure. The best pitching will be able to still beat good hitting, but not necessarily just good pitching anymore. I don't think, I think it's very possible that we enter an era like we were in, in the steroid era in the nineties or like, you know, the best pitchers, you know, in, in our era would have maybe an ERA of 3.1, 3.0. And a good pitcher in our era would be closer to an ERA of 3.9. And um, I think that's kind of what we're going to be trending towards where everyone is hitting. So it's not necessarily like, we just scrap pitching. It's just that pitchers who would have pitched to an ERA in the twos are now pitching to an ERA in the threes. I think that that's what we're going to see once, you know, this era of hitters really comes, you know, of age and into their own. Um, quite a few of them are right in the middle of their primes, but I'd say most of them are just at the beginning of their primes. Um, and I think that there is going to be a window where the majority of the league is just going to be in this kind of hot zone between ability and age and strength and, um, you know, them using their entire bodies with hitting versus pitchers mainly using, you know, their bodies to use an arm, you know, like, like everything with their body is to get, you know, velocity out of an arm. Uh, I, I don't think with two arms as a hitter, you're going to be at a disadvantage after a certain point if your lineup is deep enough and diverse enough. Um, and as teams get smarter, that's what's going to happen. So um, it's just a really interesting thing to think of. Um, now, if MLB brings back sticky substance so that you know pitchers can, can use that kind of thing, yeah, you know, maybe we'll see pitching come back a little, uh, but I don't think they're going to do it. I, I genuinely don't think it's coming back. Why not, though? Uh, because it's kind of like viewed as um, a performance enhancer, because it is. I mean, even if it might, you know, keep some pitchers healthier, it also makes a lot of pitchers a lot better than they would normally be. Um, so it, it's twofold, you know. Um, I think that pitchers can learn to be healthy without it. You're just not going to be as effective. You're not going to be able to throw as hard as consistently. Um, you're also not going to be able to throw with as much accuracy. I also don't think that the juiced ball is coming back. I think they're monitoring for a consistent ball, which means the ball's not going to get more dense, which means the seams are not going to raise themselves. So I don't think that, you know, the added cut, on sliders, especially left-handed sliders, uh, from the seams being raised is going to even come back. This is kind of off topic, so but not really off topic, still on topic. But like, so like talking about the juice era, 
and then like uh well the steroid era and then the juice ball era it's like do you do you think that not to like throw in the astros here and stuff like that and everything but there's always going to be someone trying to invent a new way to cheat yes like you know what i'm saying so do you think that there's going to kind of be like a new wave of something for pitchers in order to cheat that's like not going to destroy the ball like do you think that people are going to keep trying i don't know how many other things that they can do really i think they're going to absolutely keep trying but i don't know how many other things that they can do like truthfully speaking um i mean i do want to call something out um Mm -hmm. Like, I I talk about, you know, the Astros all the time here. Uh, We can't really leave an episode without me, you know, going really hard against the Astros, right? Um, Garrett Cole was an Astro, okay? Um, I have a hard time rooting for him, even as a Yankee. Um, And I will bring up something. I don't know whether it was in relation to, you know, the some system that the Yankees have going on. Mm-hmm. And I don't want, like, I really hope that the Yankees aren't cheating. And the Yankees have been very upfront about yeah. saying, we do not do this. Right. And I trust him. You know, I trust Cashman. He's brilliant. Okay. And if he if he says it, I trust him. Like, I don't think he's, he's that kind of guy. That being said, would it put me past individual hitters to have people that they know in the stands, you know, relaying them information? Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally see it. I could totally see something like that going on. And you have to think about what Yankees hitters would be doing that if they were. I think every team should be thinking about this with regards to, you know, their own guys. Um, so for instance, like if you are, um, you know, a twins fan, you should be thinking about, okay, who, who on my team would, would use that, you know? And, um, you know, I'd say maybe Mitch Garver or you you get the idea, right? No, I get the idea. Um, so if we're talking about which Yankees would be using it, it would not shock me in any way whatsoever to, see Stanton using it and it's not like you know this is Stan's a good guy he's a great guy um but the reason why you know I, I I say I could see him doing it is he hit 59 home runs in one mm. season um I don't know if that's really possible without you know cheating but again Stanton's kind of a freak of nature so I don't want to say something and then you know right Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a great guy. He's just, I could see with the type of swing that he has, 59 home runs is incredibly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy I was thinking about, and I hate to say this guy because this is another guy who's been, people see him as, you know, a leader or, or at least a class act. And I think he is. But again, if we're questioning everyone, we have to question everyone. Um, and that's LeMayhew, another guy who's been in the league for quite a few years. And if you look up, you know, the Rockies cheating scandal, 
I believe it was 2018, you know, people on the team admit that, that they were cheating. People who are playing them said that they reported them for cheating. Like it's pretty open knowledge that that's what happened, that they cheated. Um, and again, it was the kind of cheating that Boston and, and Houston were doing. It was sign stealing cheating. It was that kind of thing. Uh, it was, you know, knowing what pitches were coming. They had a system. Again, not quite on the Red Sox or on the Astros level, but you get what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was there. And um, so, thinking about how that was used, you look at the players who, you know, re- did really good specifically in that year in 2018. You're talking about, you know, Story. You're talking about LeMahieu. You're talking about Arenado. Like a bunch of their players had like really unexpectedly good years, and it kind of makes you think like if if LeMahieu was using it then, why wouldn't he use it now? If Story mm-hmm. was using it then, why wouldn't he use it now? You know, like, and in some of these cases, it's like with Story, even if he didn't use it, Story has such a fundamentally sound swing that he'd be fine um, with a, a few adjustments, of course, probably a commitment to aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, and even a guy like Arnado, right? Arnado has the Nick Castellano swing. So as long as the bat speed is there and the, you know, physical ability is there, that's going to work. Uh, you know, Castellanos has that swing. JD Martinez has that swing. Chris Bryant has that swing. Mm-hmm. Um, but LeMayhew, he's very much like a slap hitter. And if he hits for power, it's usually because he gets a mistake or he's committing to an overly aggressive approach. And the whole reason why I'm bringing this up is because I don't want to be a biased, you know, person here. If the Yankees are cheating, I need to be just as upset about it. Um, otherwise, you know, what good am I? Yeah. Um, I saw in the game, I, I don't know whether it was against the Red Sox or think it was against the Red Sox, but there was this flashing going on above the batter's eye. And they kind of wrote it up to, you know, it was, oh, it's distracting the batter or, you know, oh, it's, you know, right. But I did watch it and it flashed twice right before a curveball. And it flashed once right before a fastball. And it did that for LeMahieu's at-bat, and it did that for Stanton's at-bat, and it kind of stopped outside of those guys' at-bats. So both of them are being paid a lot. Uh, Both of them are performing pretty darn well. Um, Chapman's being paid a lot. Uh, I I think he's going to have a great second half. He had, like, a really rough collection of games that really tanked his season, but He's, he's still a good guy. He's still as good a closer as exists out there. I think he's going to have a real good second half. But if I'm the Yankees, I go, I take someone, you know, some, some young guy in the rotation like Herman. I go, I take like Chad Green, who's a great bullpen arm for them. I get Chapman. I take all of them together with Urshela and with Stanton and um, – with LeMahieu too. And I package them all together and I send them to like the Dodgers or the Padres. And um, I have both of those teams competing against each other for the same package. 
um, in order so that, you know, A, they can absorb Stanton's contract, but also B, because of the amount we're sending, actually get something that we'd like in return. Um, main thing for me is the Yankees lineup is all too right-handed. The Yankees lineup is going to be kind of stuck when Stanton declines because you're paying $30 million for a DH at that point who won't be giving you what you want at all. Um, and I think if you're able to trade Urshela, yes, that sucks. He's really good, but that allows you to, I think, move Glaber over to third base, which I think is, is much, much needed. Uh, he's a better fit over there. He's got the arm for it. He's got the hands for it. And I think it will allow him to concentrate on the bat. I think one of the big focuses of the team is that they stay young moving forward. They, they, they go through these growth years right now and get it out of the way so that they can have like an extended championship run. But um, I think that you're going to have to trade a lot in order to trade Stanton. Uh, and LeMahieu is very talented and Green is very talented and Chapman is very talented and Urshela is very talented and Herman is very talented. So you're going to be trading a lot, you know, to trade Stanton, even with LeMahieu. Um, but that being said, because of the amount that Chapman's being paid, because the amount Stanton's being paid, because the amount LeMahieu's being paid, you're saving enough money, even with, you know, all of those trades that you should be able to reinvest it in the free agent market. And I think that the Yankees can't go into next season if they haven't added another ace. Uh, Max Scherzer is going to be on the market. And I think that he is legitimately perfect. You get that money, you redirect it toward, towards Max Scherzer. And then, you know, with Torres over at third base, you go out and you sign Javier Baez or you sign Trevor Story. Both of them are free agents. Um, and then you have Odor for second base, who's really come into his own. Um, you have Luke Voigt at first base. You got Miguel Andahar in the system. Uh, you can alternate Hicks some at DH. Uh, you got uh, Judge for right field. You got Gardner still sticking around. Fourth outfielder. You got Frazier, AAA, ready whenever his, you know, he's going to get some glasses, so it's easier for him to see. You got Estevan Florial. Um, they already, they're calling him up now, but he's probably going to be more ready next year. Um, they might also be trading for Starling Marte, but the point is, is that, um, there's enough options on the team where even if you do get rid of, you know, three everyday position players, you know, Stanton at DH, LeMahieu, your second baseman and Urshela, your third baseman, you know, we, we can easily replace a DH, and we already have the second baseman replacement. And if we move our, th our shortstop to third, there's our, sh our third base replacement. So all we really need is then one hitter. I say we, is, you know, I'm wearing my Yankee shirt and everything. Um, but yeah, and like, I, I think if they went into this offseason, they went out, they got Javi Baez, they went out, they got Scherzer, maybe trade for a guy like Dalton Varsho just in case Sanchez gets hurt just in case. Cause you want to have a good everyday guy and Higashioka is not a, not an everyday guy. Uh, Varsho is a lefty catcher. You can platoon him with Higgy uh, Higgy when you need the defense Varsho, when you need the offense, 
Varsho versus righties, Higgy versus lefties, that could work. Um, but you know that th th those are those are probably the three moves in terms of acquisitions the Yankees need to make, and then the one move just in order to dump Stanton. I'd be willing to give up all of that other stuff, especially when you consider that Yankees could fairly easily recoup from what they'd be giving, and they'd be losing a ton of contracts between LeMahieu, Chapman, and Stanton, um, which is really important for the next stage of what they're trying to do if they're going to hang in there and continue to try and turn this into a dynasty like they said they would and like would have happened if the Astros didn't get in the way with their cheating. Um, but, yeah, no, to, to, to bring things back, you know, around <laughs> to what we were initially talking about, um, I genuinely do not think that, you know, teams like the Yankees, teams like the Rays, teams like the Phillies, teams like the Red Sox, who are only going to be getting more dynamic and dangerous, uh, teams like the Dodgers, who are figuring it out already, uh, they're more issue at this point is pitching, actually, to be honest. Mm -hmm. They don't have enough starting pitching that is uh, developed. And once their starting pitching develops and is able to go full seasons, then they're really dangerous. But, you know, it's more they're finding the long-term, short-term concerns there. Uh, the Padres, another, you know, very dynamic, dangerous team. The, the Giants are doing it. Um, so I, I think that once we start seeing – all teams adapt this way of creating offense. Um, I think that we're going to go into the golden age of offense. We're going to be talking about a true golden age uh, for position players. And I remember when I was growing up, nobody wanted to be a pitcher. And I'm 29 now. So, you know, if we're talking about the, the people who played after me, you know, three years younger than me, three years older than me, that's, you know, basically age 26 to 32, which is a player's prime. I'm kind of smack in the middle of what that would be. I think that's why we're seeing this whole resurgence mm -hmm. of offense, that people in my generation, they did not want to pitch. They, like, it was mainly everybody just wanted to be Derek Jeter or Bernie Williams or, you know, Nomar or uh, Ken Griffey Jr. or Chipper Jones, you know. Um, everybody just wanted to be one of those guys or Piazza, you know, Clemens, uh, Pedro, um, Manny Ramirez even. Um, but, you know, as you can tell, amongst that whole group of players, there's very few pitchers. Pedro's a pitcher. Clemens is a pitcher. I think the rest of everybody I just named is a hitter. People wanted to be Bonds. People wanted to be Vlad. Uh, you know, now you have Vlad Jr. playing. So there you go. Um <laughs> It's kind of it's crazy it's crazy to me it's so crazy to me that he's playing like after watching senior play it's just like wow you know mm -hmm. and, and i told someone uh when i first saw vlad play and when vlad was 18 years old that it you know it's close but he might be already better than his father like those are my exact words and um you know in the big, big league, in the big leagues his first year and his second year Again, his second year was really a shortened season. So really, it's more like his first year. His first year, he went through adjustments because he was a kid. You know, it's a little intimidating your first year in the show. Um, but his second full year was this year. And this year, he's 98% above league average. 
which I don't think his father ever did in any season at any point in his career. So I, I think I actually might have been right about that. It's just his father, it's worth noting that his father had that defensive advantage. His father had one of the greatest throwing arms that I've ever seen in, in the entire history of me watching baseball. Phenomenal throwing arm. Uh, you know, if you're listening to us now, definitely check out some uh, Vlad Sr. Uh, highlights on YouTube. He, I'll tell you, he, he, he's got a couple that are really incredible. Um, but yeah, uh, I think we'll, we'll have to definitely do a, a second parter for this where I go throughout the league and we talk about some of the more dynamic threats in terms of how does a pitcher get them out? I don't understand how. Um, because it, it goes sometimes beyond just looking at what a guy can do at the plate. Because once they put the ball in play, if they're really, really fast, you know, they can cause all sorts of trouble there. Um, and then I think one of the last things that I'll leave here before we finish up for, for the day, I want to make sure we do, you know, quick ones so that you guys can listen to this on the way to or from work. Uh, it's definitely a lot more consumable that way. Um, is I want to list off of the top 250 players. These are the starting pitchers that made the list. Mm-hmm. You got you Darvish, you got Lance Lynn, you got Carlos Rodon, who just emerged this year. You got Woodruff Burns and Peralta from the Brewers. You got Shane Bieber from the Indians. You got DeGrom, Scherzer, Cole. You got Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, as well as Pablo Lopez. You got Chris Bassett, Herman Marquez. You got Taiwan Walker. You're basically the whole Mets pitching staff. Walker, Stroman, Cindergaard, DeGrom. I mentioned DeGrom already. Um, and um, Carrasco. Uh, you got Wheeler, former Met from the Phillies. You got Musgrove. You got Rogers, another Marlin. You got Valdez, Gaussman, Walker Bueller, Kyle Hendricks. Glass now, even with his injury, he's one of the best out there. He'll be – it's Tommy John. He's, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Clevenger, same thing. Tommy John, he'll be fine. Verlander, same thing. Tyone, since his absolute terrible start uh, against, uh, I believe it was – was it Philly? I think it was against Philly. In all the starts since, which I believe is now six starts, he's had an ERA of, I believe, 2.8. So I said he was going to come around in the second half. I ended up being right. He's done this before for full seasons. Um, so Tyone is one of the best. Um, and then lastly, you got Flaherty, Severino, even the, even with the injury. Um, you got Strasburg, even with the consecutive injuries. You got Bauer, Lamette, and Kershaw, which is a total of 36 arms. And quite a few of them are hurt. And that's it. That those are those are the best starting pitchers in baseball. Quite a few of those guys are also, you know, nearing the end years of being effective. Quite a few of those guys are in their 30s. So as those guys in their 30s age out, and some of the guys on here who are already hurt possibly get hurt more and more and have to be put in the bullpen. Um, this list, the 250 is for the minors and the majors. Are there guys who can show up on the list in subsequent years? Yeah, if Julio Urias makes some adjustments, absolutely. Yeah, if Mackenzie Gore comes up and translates his low minors production, 
Absolutely. Like there's, there's, there are things, but in a league of such hard hitting, there's only 36 majors, minors, pitchers that I feel deserve to be on the top 250 talents. And by the way, real quick, it's not 250 players anymore. It's 250 talents in the big leagues. Trying to include managers, trying to include general managers, the best of the best. So if you're a team, if you're an owner, these are who to buy. This is what you have to buy to get your franchise to be working. Uh, and that'll be it for from me today, Chris. You got any uh, last questions or anything to say? I mean, I was just I, I was really interested in like the, the cheating thing, because, I mean, we're talking about uh, like batters becoming way stronger and pitchers not being able to keep up and stuff like that. So it's just very interesting to me because it's like like then when we do a part two of this, it would be kind of like cool to talk about like how could pitchers get faster without cheating? Like what are what would those mechanics look like and stuff like well, that and everything? I, I'm going to stop you real quick and say the human shoulder can only withstand 40 pounds of pressure. So uh, I don't think that they can go <laughs> further. I, I believe it's 40 pounds, but it's the maximum amount that we're doing right now, basically. Yeah. So if, if we have pitchers throwing harder, there's just going to be lots of more injuries and you're going to have to like build pitching rosters and like have that be a thing because so many pitchers are going to get hurt on a year to year basis. It's just like, it's almost going to be dangerous to be a pitcher at all. Like you'll know, Oh, I'm a pitcher. I'm going to get hurt three times a year. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. The, we can't change our, our, our ligaments. We can, we can build good muscle, but we can't change our ligaments. Yeah. But without that, that was that was the point that I was getting to. It's like, yeah. how is it how is it even going to be possible without something like cheating and stuff like that? So like, I mean, I know there's different skills, there's different skill yeah. sets in pitching, and there's different ways to throw pitches. So are we going to see a wave of completely uh, new yeah. pitches that we've never seen before and stuff like that and everything? I think what we could see is probably a resurgence of weak contact pitchers who don't throw very hard but they can mix things, mm. but we'll talk about this one on the next one. Yeah. We'll talk about this in the next one. This is all, this is all great. Like, like just throwing it out there. Stay yeah. tuned to the next episode. We'll see you there. <laughs> we'll subscribe. see you there. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Like the content <laughs> and leave a comment. We'll see, see you ya. there.